Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 32. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 875. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Please join with me in prayer. Father, again, we come to you. We thank you that you are a God who loves to save, a God who loves to sanctify, a God who loves your people. And so we ask that you would minister to us your word. Help me as I proclaim the Lord Jesus. Uh, Help me as I proclaim... um, 
you and your glory, and I pray that you would transform us from one degree of glory to another as we um, fix our hearts and our desires on Jesus Christ. We ask in his name, amen. All right, the, the theme of this sermon is the dangers of self-righteousness. Uh, we often think of self-righteousness in regard to earning our salvation by our good works or by our religious performance. But I want you to consider this question. What is the driving power behind self-righteousness? In other words, what lies underneath? What is foundational to self-righteousness? And what drives it forward? I believe that the answer to that question is the desire to be one's own ruler, to be one, the master of one's soul. Um, you know, even though God offers us uh, an entirely free salvation in Jesus Christ, the majority of people who hear the gospel cast the gospel aside in favor of trying to save themselves by their own good works. And, and I believe that the reason that is done is because people so desperately want to be in control. They want to be the captain of their own soul. And they won't even entrust to God their salvation. I've got to add something. I've got to do something. I've got to know that I have done whatever it is that I think I need to do so that I can have an, a, some control in my eternal destiny. I came across a passage uh, in a sermon by the Puritan Richard Baxter where he describes the cruelty a person does to oneself when they make self king. Listen to what Baxter says. He has an ill master that is ruled by himself, a master that is blind and proud and passionate, that will lead you to a cliff and then cast you over, that you will effectually ruin that we that will effectually ruin you when he thinks he is doing you the greatest good. In other words, you take control of your life. You make yourself your master. You think, I'm in control. I can take care of what, what happens. And it leads you to ruin invariably. This morning, um, in the person of the older brother of the prodigal child, we are going to meet a man who seeks to rule himself. He is, as we'll see, proud joyless, and walking blindly towards spiritual ruin. Uh, he doesn't appear in our text until verse 25, but to set uh, him in the proper context, we should be reminded about the lavish mercy and compassion and love of his father in verses 17 through 24. And of course, the father in this parable um, represents God and God's love for sinners. You will remember how the prodigal son came to an end of himself. 
uh, after he foolishly demanded his portion of the inheritance from his father. And then what did he do? He squandered it in reckless living. He decided it would be finally preferable to live as a slave in his father's house than to continue to try and live as his own master. And as he traveled home from that far country, he rehearsed a speech that he was going to give to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. In spite of the disrespect, in spite of the foolishness, in spite of the self-centeredness, that the son demonstrated when he left home. What does the father do? The father hikes up his, his, uh, his robe so that he can run as fast as his aged legs can carry him. He embraced his son, he kissed him, and he tossed the disrespect, the foolishness, the self-centeredness, Uh, The memories of those things, he just tossed them behind his back so that he would remember them no more. Even when the son tried to recite his prepared speech, the father cut him off. And he cut him off in order to confirm to his son and to confirm to anybody else who might be watching that the prodigal child was still his son, that the father still loved him. And so he told his servants to quickly... Bring the best robe and put it on him. To put the ring on his hand, probably a signet ring, the family ring, and then put the shoes on his feet. And he threw a party to celebrate his son's return. We have in the picture of the father's eager reception of the son a demonstration of the lavish mercy and compassion and love of God. I I so want you to learn from this parable that God is more willing to save a sinner than a sinner is to be saved. And when God redeems us, he smothers repenting sinners in forgiving love. God doesn't hold you at arm's distance. He is there like the Father, waiting for the Son to return. And before the Son can get to the gate, the Father dashes off to go embrace Him. If you struggle with assurance that God loves you, if you struggle um, believing that God has forgiven you, or if you sometimes doubt that God will allow you into heaven, I want to urge you to keep Psalm 103 bookmarked in your Bible. I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago because I believe that Jesus is drawing from Psalm 103 verses 8 through 13 to paint his picture of the prodigal um, uh, son's father. Listen to these verses. Psalm 103 beginning in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know, that's a, that is completely removed. I love all these images that are thrown or strewn throughout the Old Testament. God uh, tosses our sins behind his back so that he remembers them no more. In another place, he says he throws them on the ground and grinds them under his feet, grinds them into dust so that they are no longer there. He throws them into the depths of the sea. Here he's throwing them as far as the east is from the west. In other words, God wants you to know That when he has forgiven you, you are forgiven. Utterly forgiven. Completely forgiven. Your sins will no longer for all eternity be charged against you. This is the love that Jesus is illustrating when he paints this picture of the father of the prodigal child. This is the love that we see here in Psalm 103. Did I finish verse 13? I can't remember. I'm going to start, I'm I'm going to make sure I read verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. There is no sin that you can commit that can exclude you from the love and compassion and mercy of our God. John Jowett says there is no human wreckage lying in the ooze of the deepest sea of iniquity that God's deep love cannot reach and redeem. You cannot do anything that will keep God from kissing you and bestowing upon you the best robe, the ring, and the sandals that signify that you are his child. Even when you were returning back to him from such a rebellion, from such a self-centeredness, from such a debauched life that the prodigal son had lived as he squandered his inheritance recklessly. You know, there's only one thing that can exclude you from God's love and compassion and mercy, and that's casting God aside to seek your own righteousness. Remember, seeking your own righteousness is a a bold attempt to rule your own life, to be your own God. And we will see how the older brother's self-righteousness excluded him from his father and from his father's grace. The older son was out in the field, presumably overseeing the work as any good son might be doing. After work, he headed toward the house, but all of a sudden he began to hear the sounds of music and dancing and a party. He figured out was happening at his home, and he had not been notified. 
So naturally, he's a bit miffed. So he called one of the servants to find out what was happening. Servant went and inquired, came back, told him um, that uh, his uh, brother had returned home and they were throwing him a, a party that the fatted calf had been killed. In Jewish society, you would, if you had a, um, if you were wealthy uh, and had livestock, you know, you wanted the the other cattle to give you milk to breed, um, but you'd set aside one particular calf, nice plump calf, and you would fatten him up, and you just uh, give him as much food as he could eat. You set him aside because he was going to be dinner at a party one day. So this fatted calf was. Um, was there it was special special occasion and so when this brother finds out that his good for nothing younger brother had returned and that the father had killed the fatted calf he was angry he was not only angry he was infuriated the greek word for anger here in this um, particular instance has the meaning of explosive rage. He was so angry, in fact, the Scripture tells us, that he refused even to enter the house. Look at verse 28. I'll start with verse 27. And this is the um, servant speaking to him. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Would not enter the house, would not partake of the celebration that they were throwing. Why is he so enraged? Because instead of being banished from the family, the prodigal son is welcomed. Where are the consequences? He squandered the family's wealth. He lived a debauched life. He disrespected the father. The older son is saying, where are the consequences? Do you remember the story I told you a couple of weeks back about the Nuremberg War Trials? And how Chaplain uh, Henry Garricky led several of the most notorious Nazi war criminals to Christ? All their sins were forgiven the moment that they received the Lord Jesus Christ. God forgave every devilish plan that they had made that sent thousands, maybe even millions, to their death. God utterly wiped out their sins. When God forgives you of your sins, they are paid for. Here's the older brother. Where are the consequences? And so angry. Doesn't seem fair, does it? God would forgive their sins, those Nazis' sins. Doesn't seem fair that God would forgive your sins. That's the grace of God. Jesus became sin 
for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Beyond that, there's something deeper, I think, that's going on with the older brother. He's comparing himself morally to his prodigal brother. And in his mind, he measures up much better. In fact, I think if we were to uh, measure the, the two brothers, I think we would give the decided nod to the older brother. Um. Yet the brother who does not measure up, the brother who lived a debauched life, the brother who squandered the family wealth is getting the, pot, the, the party with the honor of the fatted calf being butchered for, for the meal. So the brother flatly refused to join the party. And the father, being a picture of our heavenly father, Being a picture of God's grace, he went to the older brother and he entreated him, it says in verse 28. His father came out and entreated him. The father didn't sit in the party and say, well, if he doesn't want to participate, his loss. The father, just like he pursued the younger brother, now he's pursuing the older brother. And he goes and he entreats him. Father did not yell at him, nor did he start giving directives. You know, I remember when our children were small. Uh, we had three girls before we had my son. And um, Rachel and Molly and Abby would set up in one of the, the bedrooms what we call Barbie World. They had more bar- Barbies than I knew had ever been created. Uh, just a couple of bins of Barbies. And they would start, they would bring them out and they would have them set up all over the, the room. And I would, you know, go impatiently and say, time to clean up Barbie world. And instead of seek, using the opportunity to seek their obedience from the heart, I'd just give a directive followed by several consequences if it didn't get picked up quick enough. And I wish I had more wisdom when I was uh, a dad. Um, and I, I think being able to sit down and talk with them and seek out and entreat them to clean for the glory of God, to sit down and, and help them more to uh, think about a strategy and maybe how to make it fun while they cleaned up. Um, but uh, here the father is entreating his son, rather than yelling at him or, or giving him directives. It would appear that this is the way the, the brother carried out his work for the father. The father, you know, obviously has given the instructions to the children in a very grace-filled way, in a very loving way. But the son... As he's out diligently watching over the flocks, overseeing the servants, he's doing so with a heart that, um, that is not grace-filled whatsoever. Listen to the way the son describes his work for his dad. He called it service 
using the word for slavery. Look at verse 27 through 30. And I'm sorry, let me start with uh, verse 28. But he, he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, or I have... Uh, slaved for you, we could translate it very accurately. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You didn't even so much as give me a goat for my faithful service, my completely obedient service, and he's getting the fatted calf? The older brother is building a case for his own righteousness as opposed to the unrighteousness of the prodigal son. He says, look, these many years I have served you. There will be be many on the day of judgment who will point at those Nazi war criminals and will say to God, why are they getting into heaven why are you forgiving my sin or forgiving their sins? When I was in church every Sunday, I gave faithfully when the offering plate was passed around. Uh, I served as a volunteer in different functions of the church. I sung loudly during the hymns. And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me. You workers of iniquity, I did not, I never knew you. Because they were seeking righteousness in their own in their own way, seeking to be the master of their soul. And then the older brother continued his case. He said, I never disobeyed your command. Well, come on now. A child who never disobeyed his parent. Again, on the day of judgment, there will be many who point to their moral righteousness for the basis of their salvation, not realizing that even our best works are what? Dirty rags. And this um, this brother is saying that he never, ever um, disobeyed his father. You know, even our most devout works are flawed because we're sinners. Even in our repentance, when we are broken and humbled and crying out to God and asking for His grace, even in our crying out and our repentance, there's still self-centeredness. There's still man-centeredness. There's still self-concern. The Puritans used to say, that we have reason to repent even of our attempts at repentance. Our repentance may be genuine, but still will never ever be perfectly true repentance. And God in his grace and mercy accepts it as if it were perfect because he accepts us in the Lord Jesus Christ. No one has any ground to stand on when it comes to justification. Jesus Christ is our only righteousness. Don't think that you will ever measure up 
by your goodness, by your good works, by your good intentions, by your religious performance. I want to look a little deeper at the older brother's moral standing for a moment. He was enraged that his brother had come home safely. He doesn't even call him his brother. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. But when this son of yours, not when my brother came home, but when this son of yours, he has no joy at his brother's safe return. Also, look at how he addresses his father in verse 29. He says, look. In other words, dad, you're... you're you, you don't see clearly. Dad, he doesn't call him father. He just abruptly says, um, oh, where is it? Uh, verse 29. Um, Look, these many years I have served you, as if his father did not know that. And um, he is being so disrespectful to his father. He is daily serving his father but with no love for his father in his heart. The younger son, however many years prior, broke his father's heart, and now here's the the older son breaking the father's heart again. He also resents his father's grace in verse 30. Again, verse 30. But when this son of yours came who was devoured... Or who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. In effect, he's saying that the prodigal brother should not be let back into the family, much less have a party thrown in his honor. He squandered his inheritance on prostitutes. He should be excluded forever. The older brother is outwardly moral. I'm sure he is a model citizen. I'm sure he is respected in the community and in the synagogue. In today's society, he'd be, going, he'd be a church-going person. Uh, he'd probably vote as a conservative. But inwardly, he was self-righteous, self-centered, and hateful toward his brother. Augustine in his confessions, says this, For it is not by our feet, nor by change of place, that we either turn from God or to God. In other words, we don't have to travel from a far country like the younger brother to travel to God or from God. Rather, it's in our darkened affections lies the distance from God. The younger brother stayed home. I'm sorry, the older brother stayed home. The older brother uh, was seated in the synagogue week after week, worshiping with his family. But his heart was as far from God as the younger brothers before the younger brother repented. And remember, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees here. The older brother... Uh, represents the Pharisees. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter uh, twenty-five. Or sorry, chapter twenty-three, verses twenty-five through twenty-eight. Jesus said, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, 
you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you should also outwardly, I'm sorry, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's the older brother. Outwardly upstanding, inwardly full of hate, pride, um, jealousy. You know, his big problem was that he did not think that he had a problem. And the heart of the problem is always the problem of the heart. There's a part two to the Nuremberg mission, uh, the story of Henry Garricky. He came back home after the war, and after he died, his son was rummaging around in his father's office, and he found a box that he had hidden away. And in that box, it was full of letters full of letters from American citizens. Guess what the content of those letters was? They were letters of hate because he had been merciful to those Nazi war criminals. He had told them about God, and American citizens were saying, they do not deserve to hear about the gospel. They do not deserve to die and have their sins forgiven. Such hate and animosity. This was the heart of the older brother toward his younger brother. And we see it even pouring out in hatred and disrespect toward his father. I want to end this sermon on grace Look at um, verse 31, the father's answer, verses 31 and 32. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father in addressing his son. For those of you, there's a few of you I know that have a little Greek. Um, he used the word technon. It's the word for toddler. In other words, my dear child is the way the father is addressing his disrespectful son. My dear child, all that is mine is yours. You know, that I think points to the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Because all that God has for us is ours. When our Lord Jesus came here to earth, left the glory of heaven, left the uninterrupted fellowship with God uh, to come here to be born as a human being, to suffer.
suffer under the hatred of this world, to go to the cross willingly in order that he might die for us. In the children's Sunday school, we were talking about what it means to be a servant. And we talked about um, Mark 10, I think 38, uh, Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came here, to die for you, to take all your sins upon himself, so that as he was stretched out on the cross, he might suffer the unmitigated wrath of God as your substitute. He stood in your place and died for your sins. And then he rose in glory. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to seek you out like the Father sought out the Son. And the Holy Spirit connects us to the Lord Jesus. And everything that Jesus is for us is now ours. We are united to Christ. He's the Son. Therefore, as we are united to Christ, we are God's child. Jesus rose from the dead. He, has, he, 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 he is the Lord of life. Because we are united to him, we have life. Because he rose from the dead, Romans 6 tells us, we have a new regenerated life because we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if God is saying to us this morning, all that is mine in Jesus Christ is yours. You don't need to earn your righteousness. You have it provided for you. Come to God in all your neediness. Come to God in your humility. Come to God as a sinner. Come to God as an ungodly person. Romans chapter 4 says that God justifies the ungodly. And as you're coming to God, remember that this world is full of sinners just like you, just like me. Don't look down your noses at them. Mimic the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, in showing grace to people who have not earned grace and will never deserve grace. But as you have received grace, show them grace through our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for the Father that our Lord Jesus painted for us here in uh, the parable of the prodigal son. God, I ask that you would uh, make us a people full of grace because we are learning daily just what your grace for us is all about and how deep it is. It is bottomless, and we thank you for that. We thank you for our Lord Jesus and pray in his name. Amen.